0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Rugby Lineout Podcast. So this weekend we will concern ourselves uh, mainly with last weekend's penultimate round of the Women's Six Nations, and you know, a fascinating tournament, especially because it really gave an as an insight into uh, where the women's game in the northern hemisphere is at, and uh, you know the. The order of of who's who in 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 the Six Nations and in European competition in the North in general. I think it's without any shadow of a doubt uh, that this tournament has shown us that England and France remain in a league of their own. But I think what I was really impressed with was um, Wales. You know, especially when you consider the kind of the whole uncertainty around the game um, in general in Wales. Um, I thought that, you know, despite all of that, the the women's game in Wales looks in remarkably good health. Uh, I think the other thing that I, I really enjoyed was um, Scotland, I found in the last two rounds also provided a few surprises. Um, you know, they've emerged from a fairly sort of negative review uh, last year of uh women's rugby in Scotland and measures have seemed to be being, being taken to uh, improve things and I certainly think um, Scotland's round four and five efforts in this year's Six Nations look to start to bear some of the fruits of, of that review process and moving forward. Um, I thought you know Italy showed plenty of promise um, but it somehow fell short of producing big results but I also think one of the perhaps most saddening things, um, why in many ways, really the only saddening thing of an otherwise very positive tournament, was I thought Ireland presented a very sorry picture of the women's game uh, in Ireland right now, and I, you know, I found it all the more shameful given the fact that the men's team is rated as you know the Irish men's team is rated as the best team in the world right now. That's a striking and glaring. Uh, imbalance that really takes a little bit of shine off off the men's performances in the last couple of years, if you ask me. Uh, I'll also be taking a look at uh, an interesting clash of, of Irish management styles in the Heineken Champions Cup final uh, after last weekend's um, semi-finals, uh, as Leinster take on uh, La Rochelle in a repeat of last year's uh, final. And last, um, I been kind of you know from what i've been watching of super rugby and uh so far this season and i think it's thrown up a really interesting question for the all blacks uh selectors and that is who is going to wear uh the number nine jersey uh for uh new zealand come the world cup and not so much who's going to wear that number nine jersey but um, you know, cause there will be, you know, no doubt three scrum halves on the plane to France come the autumn, but who's going, what's going to be the pecking order of those three scrum halves that get chosen of the three main contenders. So yeah, that's kind of what, uh, caught my eye this past week. And without any further ado, let's get, uh, right stuck into it. So yeah, I think, uh, the women's six nations, what a fantastic tournament, um, Really enjoyed the whole spectacle. Um, you know, that record uh, crowd at Twickenham uh, for the England-France game, you know, that was just absolutely fantastic. Um, so, yeah, you know, I thought England and France, you know, they gave us an epic final and with it the biggest crowd ever for Women's International. So full credit to both of them. You know i think england were deserved grand slams champions but you know let's face it france almost caused them to stumble in front of like i say the largest ever recorded audience from women's international as you know i think not just twickenham but i think all of us uh, watching that game around the world uh last saturday were just held spellbound for for 80 minutes you know let's, let's be honest the drama that played out at twickenham last saturday was a big deal a very big deal um the the 58,498 fans who, who packed the stands at Twickenham was the largest ever recorded for a women's game. And I think what was really positive and really exciting about that was it ensured that the momentum built at last year's World Cup in New Zealand has been strengthened. You know, I think there's no getting away from it now, um, and it's it's fantastic. Women's rugby is now a major global sport, and it can make the numbers um that attract advertisers and big broadcasting deals it's all great for the development of the women's game and really really exciting it's heady stuff but over and above that i think you know we were treated to some genuine top class rugby last weekend at Twickenham, and also in, in parma and, and edinburgh but you know i think you have to you know all credit has to go to england's remarkable group of grand slam champions um You know, they have, they are on, apart from their stumble at the last hurdle of the World Cup in New Zealand last year, they are on a phenomenal run of form. Um, And, you know, last Saturday, they held their nerve as in the second half, a seemingly down and out France came roaring back to life. And, you know, they were within minutes of causing probably the biggest upset we could have seen between now and the World Cup in in the autumn in France. It was a remarkable game that I think, you know, it highlighted England's truly phenomenal physical presence in the women's game. However, I think, you know, it's important also to to, to point out that it wasn't all just brute force from the Red Roses and, you know, the sort of Marley Packer steam train. You know, there were some lovely running plays that highlighted the extraordinary skill sets of players such as winger Abby Dow. You know, England have a complete game that will be one of the benchmarks for other teams to measure themselves against till the next global showdown in 2025, especially as England are going to be the hosts. Um, But like I say, you know, nevertheless, I think France deserve huge praise for that remarkable comeback from a 33 0 deficit at halftime to finish the game on the wrong end of the scoreboard by only five points at the final whistle at 38-33. You know, at the end of the first half, I, like most people, I'm sure, like most of us thought, oh, well, that's it, it's done and dusted. And, you know, a big hyped-up game is just, you know, sort of vanishing into the ether. But, you know, as, as France showed against New Zealand in the World Cup in that one-point semi-final loss to the, to the Black Ferns, this is a team still with a few kinks to work out But it's clearly a superpower in the making you know i I think the warning shots have been clearly fired across england and new zealand's bows ahead of the world cup in 2025 and you know based on what we saw at twickenham this saturday next year's six nations clash between these two in france should be the stuff of legends and i would argue one of the biggest tickets of 2024. so can't wait so you know all credit to france that was quite the comeback that was pretty pretty impressive um but you know i think you know looking at both teams you know england and france as the sort of dominant powers in the northern hemisphere um the rugby played by both of these teams is of an exceptional standard technically and demonstrates just how far the skill levels in the women's game have grown in the last four years you know i think while everyone else in the world bar new zealand will know you know um france have their Sorry, not France, but I say, well, everyone else in the world bar New Zealand will know they have their work cut out to catch up to these two giants of the women's game. As standard bearers, we we couldn't have asked for better. We look forward to a long and intense rivalry between France and England. And then it was kind of, you know, the best of the rest Um, in terms of the women's Six Nations. And I think um, that game in, in Parma last weekend between Wales and Italy, for me... Uh, in the build-up to that game. That was critical because I really felt that that game would show, you know, apart from this sort of, you know, outright dominance of France and England, who really is is the next emerging uh, country in the, women's, in the women's competition in the Northern Hemisphere. And it would be Wales and Italy. And I think Wales showed in Parma that despite, like I say, the many uncertainties swirling around the future of the Oval Ball north of the Severn River, the women's game is looking remarkably robust and on a definite upwards trajectory. Um, Like I say, Welsh rugby as a whole may be struggling with what its future looks like, but I think Welsh women rugby players seem to be taking it all in their stride. There is no question that outside of France and England, they were the best team in the competition. You know, they dispatched with relative ease Ireland, Scotland, and Italy. Um, You know, sure they came pretty dramatically unstuck against England and France, but you know, I, that their other three games which saw them finish a the strong third was pretty impressive. Um, like I say, I'd felt that the game in Parma between Italy and Wales last weekend would tell us much about the emerging hierarchy in the women's game in the Northern Hemisphere, and I wasn't proved wrong. I think if Wales can build on their strong third-place finish this year, who's to say that they won't be challenging either France or England for second place next year? You know, I think much like England, they possess an intimidating physical game, but in open play, they can be equally dangerous. There's still plenty of work-ons for Wales if they're to make that critical next step. But after this tournament, they have clearly laid out a statement of intent. And I think they have the nucleus of a squad of developing talent to, to get them there. So, yeah, I think, you know, pretty impressive uh, from from Wales overall, this tournament. I can say, I had thought that Italy were actually going to pip Wales to that much sought-after third-place finish, but despite a strong start against France, Italy faltered too often this tournament to go the distance. Don't get me wrong, I think Italy have some supremely talented players, but much like their men's side, they've yet to find that fine balance between ambition and skill. However, Italy will be back next year, and if they can correct their mistakes against Scotland and Wales, most notably their set-piece work, aspects of their kicking game and their overall discipline, then the future looks very bright for the Azzurri. As in open play, Italy looked decidedly dangerous. Um, And I think it's also important to note out that, you know, with that comes a physical presence that does need to be reckoned with. Um, Italy and England won more turnovers than any other team in the competition. In short, watch this space. Like I said, I thought Scotland were also a pleasant surprise, the Six Nations, despite emerging... With you know relatively little to show from an exceptionally brave World Cup campaign last year, they will be disappointed by the schoolings you know, the the schoolings they got from France and England in the Six Nations, but against Ireland and Italy, they show that there is plenty of grit and determination in the Scottish side. Um, and they you know they did give give Wales a fight, um, so all you know that to their credit as well. But I think you know the Scotland that started the campaign in the first three rounds was a very different side to that which wrapped up proceedings against Ireland last weekend at Edinburgh. Their strong showings against Italy and Ireland at home simply need to be translated into form on the road and went up against Sterner opposition. But, you know, I think after the uncomfortable spotlight the game was put under during last year's review, the initial results of rebuilding the women's game in Scotland are starting to look very positive indeed. I think there's a lot to, to feel good about there. Um. And then that brings us to one of the things I found uh, pretty pretty saddening, I think, the six, six Nations. And I think, you know, that's like I called it in the blog, Ireland's kind of uncomfortable truth. You know, Ireland's men may be on top of the world heading into this year's World Cup. But for the women, it's a sorry story of neglect and indifference by the Irish Union, as their women remain very much second-class citizens in the sport. You know, I think despite the triumphant scenes at Twickenham, uh, this women's Six Nations, it wasn't all smiles and success. Ireland's experience painted a very negative picture of the women's game in the Emerald Isle. And so far, there only seems to be lip service being paid to the deep-rooted problems lying at the heart of Ireland's failures as the Six Nations. It's important to remember that up to 2017, Ireland was a dominant force in the women's tournament. However, since then, the gap between the funding of the men's game and that of the women's has become laughable to the point that the women's game has become very much an afterthought in Ireland. The RFU has made a ham-fisted attempt at turning the women's game professional, which must surely feel like a slap in the face given the success of the world-class structures that Ireland has put in place for the men's game. You know, I think there's, there. you know, a lot of people have talked about it. You know, limited media coverage in Ireland at times, being able to watch the Six Nations, uh, the women's Six Nations. Um, and at times, you know, what I can really only describe as kind of Neanderthal type social attitudes towards the women's game among, amongst certain, you know, um, you know, I get amongst certain men on social media have not really help their cause um, and I think it's been made worse by allegations of the AR- IRFU essentially being an old boys club. Um, you know things are changing slowly as a result of a rather scathing and in-depth review recently conducted on how the women's game is managed and represented in Ireland but it's going to be a long slow process and to some degree takes some of the polish off the remarkable successes in recent years of the men's program. It is clear the Irish women's team don't resent the success of their male counterparts. They'll be cheering them on just as much as every person in Ireland come the World Cup this fall. Um, You know, especially should they, you know, the men finally make this a World Cup for Irish supporters to remember. However, the IRFU must make every effort between now and the World Cup and beyond to bridge the glaring gaps and make whatever success may come Ireland's way this autumn accessible to all. Um, like I say, I, I think the present state of the women's game in Ireland is simply unacceptable and even a tad shameful, uh, particularly you know when contrasted with the success of the men's program. It has now been recognized as such by all the parties involved and steps are in hand to address the mess. Ahead of a year that could well be one to remember for Irish rugby for many years to come, it is time for the RFU to finally put their money where their mouth is when it comes to the women's game. So yeah, that was the Women's Six Nations. Uh, overall, I think a great tournament, great advert for the women's game. Progress made by by all of the countries, with possibly the exception of Ireland, but lots to look forward to for the future. While we're still on the Irish theme, this year's Heineken Cup final is is very interesting um, because essentially it's a clash of contrasting Irish styles under two different. Uh, European national flags. So this year's Heineken Cup final is a repeat of last year's fixture between Leinster from Ireland and La Rochelle from France, with the Irish province this year being the hosts. But the overall flavor is distinctly Irish as Leinster meets Munster in the shape of Leo Cullen versus Ronan O'Gara. Sticking, like I say, sticking with the Irish theme we talked about uh, just now in terms of the women... We now have a Heineken Cup final to be played in Ireland, featuring the best of French and Irish club rugby. However, all of it is seasoned with what I call Irish cooking skills. Leinster coach Leo Cullen and his La Rochelle counterpart, Ronan O'Gara, are bringing a distinctly Gaelic approach to proceedings. Um, O'Gara's time at Munster and an Irish jersey are the stuff of legends, while Cullen can boast a similar record in the blue of Leinster and the green of Ireland. These two gentlemen know each other intimately on and off the pitch, having played as both teammates and opponents. And now their club rivalry on the pitch has shifted to to the coaching box. It's a a fascinating dynamic. Um, You know, Cullen wants his charges to play at lightning speed in both attack and defense, whereas O'Gara prefers a more kind of traditional approach based on the principle of grinding down the opposition through your physical presence and ability in the set pieces. It's almost a touch ironic that in Cullen, Leinster have a former forward who is advocating a faster and more open game, while in O'Gara, halfback. You know, La Rochelle have a former halfback settling on a more traditional physical approach to taking momentum away from your opponents. So it's a fascinating dynamic that's going on here. It'll all make for a really intriguing contrast of styles on, on May the 10th at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. Many people are tipping Leinster on their home ground to make up for the disappointment of losing out on the silverware to La Rochelle last year, and I tend to kind of agree. However, both coaches have shown themselves adept at adjusting their game plans to suit how a game unfolds on the day. Nothing is a given on May 29th as two of the best brains in European club rugby sit down and try and work out how best to unlock the Champions Cup trophy cabinet. So yeah, lots to look forward to there. And then uh, the last kind of thing that got me thinking this week, you know, having watched a bit of Super Rugby in the last couple of weeks is, uh, you know, the whole mirror, mirror on the wall. Who are you going to choose uh, for, you know, uh, the all-black uh, number nine jersey uh, come the World Cup? And I think Ian Foster and his, and his coaching team are faced with, you know, what is, I think for most people, uh, most international coaches, that's sort of a delicious dilemma of who is their best scrum half ahead of the World Cup. Um, And I think, you know, most international coaches can only wish to be in the position that uh, Ian Foster and his team find themselves in. You know, ahead of the World Cup, who gets the starting nine jersey for most of your big games? Um, New Zealand are quite literally spoiled for choice. So where do they begin? It's probably going to be the most hotly contested seat on the plane to France this autumn. So let's start with, with Chiefs number nine, Brad Weber, who has been sensational in the Waikato outfit's remarkable super rugby campaign this year, which sees them undefeated after nine rounds. You know, I think, you know, Weber has long kind of been circling around the periphery of the all-black selection p- policies. You know, Weber has never been given a consistent start, especially essentially being brought in when regulars like Aaron Smith or TJ Paranara have been unavailable but more recently having to operate in the shadow of up-and-coming blues sensation Findlay Christie. In the past, he's been known for his reliability and eye for an opportunity. But I'd argue this year he's added some genuine speed of delivery and flair to his resume. In short, if it was my call, I'd give him the nod for the number one spot on the list based on form alone this year. Um. Then there's, you know, the Blues X-Factor man in the shape of Finley Christie. You know, I think in the last two years, Christie has increasingly been given the nod for some of the lower stakes games, while being seen as an impact player for the big events once traditional stalwart Aaron Smith has got the job done. However, I'd argue he's still a bit green around the edges at test level and can panic when things aren't quite going to plan. As a result, I can't help feeling that he's not quite the bankable commodity the All Blacks need for the big event in France just yet. Last, but certainly not least, there is the conundrum of Aaron Smith. You know, while at a club level, the Highlanders and Smith are really nothing to write home about, and that's being diplomatic, put the man in a black jersey and he seems completely and utterly transformed. Smith's big game temperament and ability to cope under pressure is the stuff of legends and has been the gold standard for the All Blacks since 2012. You simply cannot judge him by his performances in a Highlanders jersey. However, the argument that it's time for a change, despite his experience, especially given New Zealand's dip in form over the last two years, is mounting. But can they really do without that experience on the biggest stage of them all? I don't know. It's a tough one. I think, you know, to make matters even more confusing, you know, I haven't even mentioned outstanding newcomer uh, Cameron Royguard from the Hurricanes this season and the experience and ability of veteran Crusader Scrum Half Mitchell Drummond. However, I can't help feeling, despite their worth, these two are very much on the periphery um, for the trip to France and only likely to get the call should an injury to any of the above-mentioned three front runners become a concern. In short, if it was my call, I'd go out on a limb and pick Weber as my first choice for the all-black scrum half for the World Cup. Alternate him and Smith for the big games with Christie on the bench and a starting role um, for the blues man, for the easier pool games like Namibia and Uruguay. I'm fascinated to see how it all plays out when Foster names his starting 15 for the big day on September the 8th against France. So that's it for this week, folks, a bit of a short one, uh, mainly because I'm on the road and I, I didn't get one out last week. So I'm trying to get one out this week. Um, hopefully on their return to toronto uh this coming weekend the arrows dismal season will take a turn for the better uh along with the weather which has left much to be desired so far this spring but uh till then everyone take care stay safe and just once again a a massive shout out to all the fabulous women who gave us such a memorable women's six nations this year culminating in that epic attendance at twickenham so good on all of you and uh long may it continue and looking forward to more. So take care, everyone, stay safe, and I will talk to you soon.